0: Guys, thanks for tuning in to this new episode of Get Tilted, 100% Tilted Discussions with Winning Underdogs. I'm your host, Michael David, sitting to my left, if you're listening, is CEO Anthony Milton. And in the studios, we have a very special guest, a guest that you're going to recognize the name, but you may not know the story, Uh, retired U.S. Navy SEAL, fifth generation Texan. So you can definitely say he's from Texas. Yeah, there you go. Retired US Navy SEAL, two deployments overseas, that's, two different fronts. That's,
1: just, that's the only ones I talk about. There's been, <laughs> there, 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 are, there are a few more, I did, I did multiple, but I fought in two wars.
0: <laughs> the story that a lot of people may not know about our guest today is during his time as US Navy SEAL, was also involved in a, a pretty horrible Black Hawk crash during a training exercise doing uh, fast roping onto a floating vessel. And that broke his back in six places, uh, also uh, survived a, a traumatic brain injury that left him in a body cast. But through that, also recovering, went back out mm. and continued his time as one of the, the highest trained operative that the military could actually produce. As a husband, as a father, as a businessman, who also got his uh, advanced degree in neuroscience.
1: Neuroscience, applied cognition. With a
0: bachelor's in psychology from the uh, Sam Houston State University here in Texas. And is now decided to continue to serve our country and has, with the blessing of his wife and boys and family, uh, is gonna put his hat in the ring to serve us in the 8th district of Texas. This guest is none other than Mr. Morgan Luttrell. Thank you for having me. That was Mor- quite an eloquent introduction, Morgan. It's a real honor <laughs> to have you here. No,
1: I, I mean I love you guys. We we've uh, uh, we we started friendship a qual- uh, while ago, and it's it's yeah. good to always circle back and find you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show.
0: So there's a lot in that intro. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to peel back there. There is um, now being a fifth generation Texan. Uh, there's also a lineage of veterans
1: mm-hmm. majority of the males and, and and females in my in my in our family served in in some capacity or another in different branches of the military and we've we've been a part of ma- every major engagement mm-hmm. all the way back to before anybody really got here mm-hmm. so military service was something that my brother and I were always aspiring to the seal thing really didn't come about. Until we were in our early teens, nobody knew what a seal was. Nobody talked about it. There, there was, there may be a book or two somewhere, but we didn't have them. My father talked about uh, frogman, but we didn't know what that was. Mm-hmm. And then there was a Discovery Channel special called "The Silent Option," had that guy with that awesome voice narrating, <laughs> narrating, had video of what yeah. Navy SEALs did. So they made the hair on the back of your neck stand up we like, that's it, right there. That's what we're going to do. And we said it, and we – nobody from our hometown had ever done that. Nobody had ever heard of it. Nobody in our family had ever done it. We didn't have the DNA. We didn't have the name, ID. This is Willis, Texas, right? Willis, Willis, Texas, yeah. So, we weren't athletes per se. We could – I mean, we were athletic, but we just weren't athletes. We weren't a collegiate level athlete, Olympic level, none of that. Real kind of feeble, small – we didn't really start filling out growing our own till we were into college. So there was a bunch of naysayers out there, I guess is what I'm trying to get to, but we would not be denied. And Marcus ended up leaving, getting out of college before I did. I actually broke my leg, my right leg. I damn near broke it off, sliding into second base. We were supposed wow. to, we were supposed to go together. Yeah, it was a bad deal. Sliding into second base, I cleated the bag and, I mean, I felt, I mean, the, the, the break was so loud, the second baseman threw up. I mean, I broke every bone in my foot, destroyed my ankle joint, and it was a tib-fib fracture. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. So. You
0: were a fast runner. Yeah, well, I was boogin' <laughs> I, I If I need to get somewhere, I can go for a big guy.
1: <laughs> and I didn't have any money in college. I was broke, dead broke. I mean, I mean I've mean, I've been homeless before. I tell people, I've been homeless before. I've been, I slept in my truck, slept on the ground, slept at a friend's house, didn't have any money. I had to go borrow two pieces of bread from two different people to get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, like, I'm sure mm-hmm. like you guys, I mean, it's just part of the li- part of growing up. I didn't have any money to fix my leg. And when they took me to the emergency room, they just splint it, sent me home. Wow. Yeah. Cause I had to have surgery. It was broken that bad. Well, the surgical center, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So I broke it on a Tuesday night and Friday morning. a buddy of mine comes over to see me. I, I, I was laying on my couch, just, Looking back on this, it, it I think it's pretty. You're not gonna laugh about it now, but I was. Ha- I'd have to crawl to the bathroom, and and fall into the tub and go to the bathroom with myself, rinse myself off, and crawl back to the couch because I couldn't stand up. And the leg was still <sighs> broke. Anyway, a buddy of mine walked in. And he's like, "What is happening here?" And I was like, "I don't have any money to pay for a surgery." And he stroked a anesthesiologist wanted seven hundred bucks. The, the other doctor comped it, so he stroked me a check. Jason Miller. Never forget. Oh. Yeah, so I had the first surgery. I had to have three, I didn't even have three surgeries on that deck on thing. And uh, two years of rehab, then I actually finally went in. But they kicked me out of the Navy. And they were like, you can't go in with that hardware in your leg. And the second year after I broke it, I flew out to see Marcus because he was in SEAL training. And he introduced me to the, the doctor out there. And I, I did an interview in front of the doc, and he gave me a physical, and he signed a waiver. So I was able to come back in. I was like, if you let me back in, I swear I I won't let you down. I won't quit. He was like, "Yeah, okay, here you go."
0: <laughs> I didn't. Now, if if memory serves, isn't there kind of a funny story? Because for those that don't know, with Morgan and his references brother Mark. This is twin brother. Um, people that know Mark's story from the the book and the movie Lone Survivor. Mm-hmm. But isn't there? Didn't you guys swap? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we
1: did. <laughs> we, we did. I mean, we did the whole twin thing. We were identical. <laughs> the older we get, you know, we're willing to. Our, we're closer to fifty than we are forty nowadays, but we were spitting image of each other in our youth. And nobody knew there was two of us in the Navy. He didn't didn't tell anybody, you know, maybe (laughs) his roommate, his roommate knew, but it's not, you just, you know, you're so front sight focused on getting through that training. You don't have any time to share, share, share your life stories until, because there people just go away. Uh You know, people are quitting left and right. So you don't really get to know anybody. So that's Mm -hmm. just some of the things you kept to yourself. Anyway, I went out to visit him one day. I was still in college and long, long story short, I guess, but, uh he was running late his roommate's like hey look because he he had uh actually had, had a broken femur after hell week and he was kind of dragging ass can we cuss i'm apologize yeah. oh yeah yeah okay you're, you're fine um <laughs> he, was, he was dragging ass and his roommate's like oh man if you, if you if you're having that bad of a day why don't you just get your brother to go for you <laughs> and i mean i looked at him he looked at me it wouldn't i mean it, it happened that fast literally there was no planning it was just spontaneous and I threw that uniform on and went out and did a, and did a day of buds. And fast-forward the tape, they found out. <laughs> Not right then, but they ended up finding out. So
0: nobody even nobody could even tell the difference.
1: Well, so his boat crew, they knew. <laughs> you know, okay, they had to watch after me because they were like, "Hey, his roommate was like, hey, because Marcus is taller. That is nuts. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> you know, when it happened, I didn't. It was just something, that, you know. Hey, me and Marcus are switching again. We've we've done that our whole lives in school and whatnot. But looking back, here you are in SEAL training, in inside Na- Naval Special Warfare, like a super top secret classified machine. And I'm I'm standing there with no idea what to do. Never, you know, never been in the Navy, don't have any <laughs> none of that. So yeah. his boat crew. They knew, and they were coaching me through what to do. And I was in shape. You know, I could handle could handle. Them. they were after Hell Week or right after Hell Week, so they were beat to hell. But, you know, when that came out, Marcus had gotten rolled out of his original class because of his injury and picked back up. And once that, that story started to circulate, uh, he was told to keep it a secret. And he did up until the day before he graduated, which then it, it had to come out. And... He had to go all the way up to the top to the man. He Actually, had had admiral's mass, and they were asking him, Tina, you know, we want to know the whole story. Tell us every second of every single detail." And he did. And they let him graduate, and you know, thank God they did. You know, because his story came out, and he, you know, he was a hell of a seal. But when I showed up, they were waiting. <laughs> every one of them. I didn't appreciate the gravity of doing something like that. You know, if I'd have quit, if I'd have gotten injured, I was a civilian inside naval special warfare if you know I think it's just, they they do it they do it as an espionage training scenario now hey what happens if you have a doppelganger come in here mm. what do you do because of you
2: guys because of us
0: <laughs>
1: yeah and there was a there was five when we graduate when i graduated there was five sets of twins that ever made it through five brothers five identical twin brothers and we were i, I don't know if more have gone through but At the time we were the number five, so then you know, so that was a big deal. And when I showed up, and they were <laughs> all of his instructors, were there, the CEO was still there, and buddy, I, I paid the man every single day, which is great. You know, I deserved it. I, you know, we got <laughs> caught. You're gonna, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. If you get caught, you're gonna pay the man, you're gonna be dumb, mm-hmm. you're gonna be stupid, you better be hard. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm a pretty tough son of a bitch, so I trying to toot my own horn, but I'm pretty, you know, I grew up in the country, I'm pretty tough son of a bitch. And they made me earn every second of every every day to get my trident. But I did. Okay. Graduated top of my class. You know, that, it was just all fun games. Towards the end, they were like, hey, you know, that's a great story. You know, mm. good job. You, you, that's what it's all about here. Mm. But uh, going through it, I damn sure didn't seem like it. So, yeah, Gr- we
0: switched. Growing up, I uh, said, with your dad being a veteran, did you grow up in a really militant-type disciplinary home? Well,
1: dad was a – he was a kind of a different breed of human being. I won't bag him old man too much because he's dead, but – you know, he, he leaned on that Vietnam experience and in in his military experience when he raised us. I mean, he we were, yes, yes sir, yes, ma'am. You know, we, we, very, very respectful, very, very driven. You know, he he demanded that. I think his delivery was a little bit rough around the edges. He wasn't scared to get in the bottom of a bottle. Mm. To, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's where he lived most mm-hmm. of the time. So, you guys appreciate where I'm going with that. Yeah. Uh, I don't, and you know, I don't take anything away from him. we never. We always had a roof over our head and a, a meal in front of us. He did do that, and he loved us more than anything. But you know, I don't. Old Jack Daniels made him a son of a bitch majority of the time. But mm. so when that happened, you know, there were times he blamed the war on some of the shit he did to me and my brother. Mm. You know, I don't do that to my kids. But
0: yeah, it was there. Mm-hmm. Were you and Marcus ever on the same team?
1: Oh yeah. I said, well, that's, see, and that's another thing, too, that most people, we don't advertise that. Because a lot of people think the thing called the Sullivan Act, for for the listeners out there that don't know what the Sullivan Act is, in the military in World War II, I think it was either on a ship or a submarine, one or the other. Five brothers, Sullivan brothers, were all killed at the same time. And it wiped the whole family out. And we were under the impression that the Sullivan Act would prevent Marks and I from being on the same team, the same platoon and deployed together. Mm. We thought that was a thing. And after Red Wing happened, we were at SEAL team five together. And as we were deploying out, we we had to make a special request through our commanding officer who went all the way up to the to the top and requested that we be at the same team and deploy this together. We just were not allowed the only stipulation was we were not allowed to ride in us in the same helicopter or ride in the same Humvee, mm. same truck, mm. just in case. And then we were over <coughs> in Ramadi. Iraq in six and seven when it was That was the that was bad. Yeah. I mean it was amazing. Amazingly bad. Awesome. I mean we were <laughs> getting it done. That was a big That's deal. what we trained for Yeah, that was I mean we were putting foot put to ass for country and utilizing our skills. <laughs> So, you know, we check in with our mom about once a month on a Sunday, call her, right, you know, after she got back from church. I hey, get mom, we're doing good. She's like, where are you boys at? like, oh, we're training in San Diego. It's all good. Just like, oh, okay, just make sure you boys aren't, you know, in some place called the Anbar or something rather. It's like, no, mom, we're not there. That's exactly where we were. <laughs> so that was the only thing. Yeah, so we were five together. We were, well, our first command together, we were stationed together. We slept in one bedroom apartment, that same bed. Mm. He was in a different, a different platoon than me. So when he was deployed, I was home when I was deployed, he was home as a matter of fact, I was in Afghanistan, and they flew into the country and we slapped high five on the tarmac and right out that shortly after that's when red wing happened wow yeah i i my platoon and I were already out there, and he came out and relieved us and wow. so when we yeah like I came home and i was in I was at um Army freefall school out in Yuma, Arizona, when now when all that went down no kidding, yeah.
0: As a twin, and I've heard this when all that was going on. Of course, you didn't know. Could you feel something happen?
1: Now, so that's a great question. So, uh, David Goggins and I were at Free Fall together. I don't know if you guys ever met David Goggins. if y'all haven't met David Goggins yet, he's a, he, he, somebody you can here and chat with. He's something else. <laughs> He, can't, he had gone into town. There, Yuma Free Fall Zone is way, well, it used to be way out, no cell so, mm-hmm. cell service or anything like that. So I was out there, and David had gone into town and saw the news and heard about this crash and that something was going on and, and seal, something with the SEAL teams in Afghanistan. He came back out, and I saw him that morning. And he's like, hey, hey, bro, um, some SEALs, was like some SEALs got killed in Afghanistan. How's your brother? Not you know, he said that to me. And I looked square in the face. I was like, you know what? I don't feel nothing. He's fine. Exactly what I said to him and he's like okay so day goes by the next day it's out you know this is our guys and my the couple of seals that were out in humor with me like hey, you sure nothing's going on and I was like no nah, I'm sure I don't feel nothing I'm good and I just started driving back into San Diego because I was finished we had graduated and I was headed back to San Diego to get on a plane to go to Hawaii and my phone started pinging and I First voicemail was a teammate of mine. He's like, "Hey, hang up right now, and call me." So I did, and he was like, "Hey, man, yeah, it was y'all. It was it was it was us. It was it was your brother's platoon." And I was like, "Well, all right. What what are we looking at here?" And he's he, by that time they, um, I think they knew Danny was dead, mm. and they told uh, Matt. I think they knew Danny and Murphy were down. In Max and Marcus, or Mia, presume Kia is what he told me. He didn't know. It, it's just what he told me. And that's a two and a half hour drive from you, Arizona, to San Diego. I mean, I was, that was rough. That was a rough go. I remember that. One. That was that was challenging. Anyway, so i was making my way to San Diego. But I knew, I knew, I knew in my heart. And so I, I never believed my brother was dead. I knew that. And everybody was like, hey, you know, especially as it started to move downstream a little bit and there was like four day three, four or five. I was like, hey, look, you know, you guys y'all can talk y'all can say all you want. I'm just like, man, y'all y'all turn me loose and I'll go find him or y'all find him. I know he's out there, I know he's hurt, I know he's 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 in a bad way, but he's alive. And day I hadn't thought about this in a while. I think day five, maybe, we got the call that he was rescued. We had a stew, uh, secured line brought out to maybe put a secured line, red line, at our home. Which, um, of course, some country, red, country folk, rednecks I grew up with I thought that was cool shit they'd ever seen. <laughs> it's like that's a classified phone, like a presidential phone. I'm like, yeah, man, that's You know, red, red all <laughs> over it. And like, who can we call? I was like, don't call <clears> anybody <throat> on that thing. But anyway, twice a day we would get uh, in the mornings. We'd get an update. It rise and fall of the sun, right? So we get an update in the morning. We get an update in the afternoon. Man, it got to where that was just exhausting. You just you get an update and then no no changes, mm. and you're just like, because the only people that it was in my dad's bedroom. So the only people that were allowed in there was the, the seals because we had clearance. They, I mean, it literally turned it into a, a uh, skiff. skiff, a classified area where you could have a phone like that. Mm. I mean, we had to have a watch on it and all that kind of it was Kind of got out of hand, but anyhow, and that that last day. By that time, there's about sixty team guys out there, and at any given time, there there's 150 to 300 people on our property that never left. Wow, I mean, the whole county turned wow. out. It was a it was a sight. I mean, they were barbecuing, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and cooking breakfast, lunch, dinner, barbecues. They brought outhouses out there. The sheriff and the constables and state troopers locked down the roads getting to us.
0: And that's amazing community support. Oh, buddy,
1: I mean, we we had church out wow. there on the grounds. I mean, wow. it, it was it was a it was a it was exhausting, but it was amazing because we, after the days, we, you know, we get a call. Hey, we found Danny's body. Hey, we found Murph's body. Hey, they recovered the helicopter.
0: Gut-wrenching within relief, like it's a...
1: Yeah, it was almost to a point, I was like, oh, you know, just don't, I don't want anything until we find out what, mm-hmm. the, no more updates. And that uh, day four or five, whichever one it was, we, uh we uh, all the team guys would walk into this room and I'm my, and... Master Chief Gothrow was the one that would answer the phone. That was his thing. And uh, he got on that phone, I think it was in the afternoon, if I remember correctly. And he's like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. You we were kind of all standing there. He's like, yes, sir, understood, understood. And he dropped his head. And he dropped his head in a you know, quick, like an emotional, damn, one of them things. And everybody lost it. And I'm, standing there, I'm just standing there looking at him, kind of stoic, just kind of watching him because he's like, nah, I, I'm not feeling this. And uh, so everybody's like really getting in that emotional release, and man, he he gives a thumbs up to, to us. Nobody sees that but me, <laughs> and because every, everybody else. Here comes mom and dad. Man, they're just crying in their eyes. I mean, and then it then it starts to spread out to outside because mm. we didn't catch it in time. And everybody, you know, everybody's like, "He's no, he's dead. They found him. He's dead." the other? So we had to walk that back and um, tell everybody that they had found him. Which my family and friends and you know God bless them they they were all celebrating Marcus you know he's he's alive but we still had a man down we were missing mm-hmm. somebody we were missing Axe and Axe and I were best friends um, he we wow were, no kidding Morgan well we were swim buddies wow. and buds yeah we were swim buddy and I buddy and buds and then we were in uh, S D V school pilot navigator together and then he was my s- sniper partner and we shooter spotter together so we did everything together oh wow. yeah I mean every, I'm day one everything. So that was a
0: – so the rest of the SEALs were just, you know – we brother survived, but then you had a brother that didn't.
1: Yeah, right? So we're still waiting, and now, and you know, inevitably they found him, found his body. Um, I think two weeks later, maybe. I think it was like day 14. You know, I don't know where, where – um, oh, yeah, the, the question you asked me is if I – yeah, I always knew my brother was alive. Mm. Sorry, I went down a little tangent on that. No, one, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how long after uh, – because when, when Marcus came back and, you know, he was – getting taken care of, getting mended back up. Uh, when you ended up doing uh, that exercise in, in the Blackhawk. That was a, well, so Marcus, he,
1: he, Marcus got home about a month and a half later after he was rescued. He had to go to Germany, do debriefs and all that kind of stuff and kind of rehabilitating. They actually snuck him out of Germany. There's a, there's a Senator <laughs> and I won't say, say their name, but there was a Senator in Germany that had, was on, had his own plane. and, Marcus jumped on it and came home. Wow! Yeah, we picked him up in San Antonio, and then um, we were at home for about a month. After that, went back to and I feel bad about this because I I was ready to go back. I wanted to go back to work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I actually forced Marcus to do that. I was like, "Man, let's go." He's like, "No, nah, I'm just not ready." I was like, "Yeah, it'd be good to get back in the team. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll work. We'll get back in the, get back in the grind, get back in the train. Be great." And you know, he he he's like, "Okay," and that, you know, he shouldn't. I you know, I feel bad about it. I shouldn't have done that to him because um, it was not a good idea. It didn't turn out to be a not, not a good idea. You know, he wasn't ready. Excuse me. So, from that day, after Red Wings, when we went back to Ramadi together.
0: Wow. Yeah, so he got back
1: from Af- from wow. Afghanistan. But all that that happened to him. And then we, we left Hawaii, went to C- Team 5, and then went to Ramadi. And then we left, Ramadi came home, and he retired. And I went out to the East Coast. I I became an officer, commissioned officer, and I went to the East Coast of Team 8. Did a platoon out there, cycled back, and then in my second platoon at Seal Team 8 is when the helicopter crashed. November, November 20, November 9th, 20, I used to be good at this, 2009, I think. Mm I think that's when it was uh under yep, yeah, we were we were like you said we were doing fast roping operations off the coast of virginia there was an underway vessel it's really and when an epic storm nor'esterns are blowing in it was really kicking our ass anyway our all right we were flying with the 160th sore i mean arguably the greatest rotor wing asset the world's ever known still to this day i mean those guys are the the absolute guys and girls are the absolute best at what they do that was just a series of misfortune events the helicopter lost was uh, lost some altitude and the ship was you know sh- the ship mm. was rising and falling and the rotor struck the plenums, the stacks on the boat, sheared right. them off, and the helicopter ended up turning on its side and those of us in it fell out and the helicopter crashed on top of us. Caught on fire, blew up, killed the killed the crew chief, and it was a catastrophic loss to the rest of us and know, and I broke my back and actually broke I landed in a you know, the <laughs> the worst part about is I landed in a seated position from about forty feet. And I was completely wow. I was kitted up. And I walk around six well, I used to be six four. I'm about six two and some change these days. But at any given time, I was around three eighteen to three twenty with all my kid on. Wow! And so imagine jumping off a four story building laying on your butt. God, shit hurt. It hurt bad. I felt bad. it too. I didn't know where I was when it happened. You know, you see the movies, the bells and whistles. And if you've seen like Black Hawk Down and like, some of the military movies that have a helicopter crashes, you don't walk away from these things. It's just you just don't. And ours happened so fast. I mean, the rotors were sheared off in a heartbeat. And I just remember hearing all the I was looking out from underneath the the structure of the helicopter because I, I was fixing to get on the rope. I was the last one out because I'm the officer. The guys go down first and do all the shoot, move, and communicate. And as the officer, I come down and I just do, you know, officer stuff. <laughs> that doesn't sound sexy at all, but whatever. And I remember seeing the the static electric glow on the end of the rotor blades because we were so close to that boat. Mm-hmm. And there was this beautiful blue circle around the helicopter, but you could not see the distance from the from the rotors to the ship. It was, it was like fractions of an inch. Wow. Yeah, and I remember I was talking to my buddy too, and he said the same thing. Like months, months later, we were talking about it, and I was like, "He's like, I remember seeing that glow," and I was like, "Do I do too?" And I was like, "Man, these fuckers are good." <laughs> and the second I said that in my head, wow, metal on metal like somebody threw us in a blender and then i the next thing i remember um i don't remember falling which is kind of crazy but i remember hitting Mm. and the second i landed on my butt i felt everything go i mean i (sighs) felt my coccyx my sacrum break i felt my back go wow yeah and i made that real (laughs) the only thing i was concerned about is i made that real stupid noise you make when you get the breath knocked out of you um (laughs) (laughs) That's all I, I was concerned, that my guys heard me do that, and they were going to make fun of me. You can you believe that? That's the only thing I kept thinking of. Anyway, so I ended up coming out of the helicopter, and I fell off the next deck, and I landed on my head. And that's how I got my head injury. But that's all good, and that's just another day. It was a bad day at the office. It was tragic. We lost the crew chief. They were. They were he was an amazing guy, and um, I was the least injured out of everybody. The other guys that were in the helicopter with me were just torn up bad but we all made the deployment we all fit you know neck down we got it we can fix just about anything put anything on you mm-hmm. I mean, we, have, we have arms and hands just yet but feet legs lungs ankle heart kidneys I mean we can put that back together pretty well so we went we went i was in, i was in a body cast for better part of almost half a year better part of a year went down to florida to have a place called Athletes Performance at the Andrews Institute, and they put me back together. I came out of that cast, and I never looked back. It was the head injury that was the tra- the, the, the challenging part of mm-hmm. everything. That I didn't know that at the time. I mean, I was a pipe hitting team guy. I didn't know anything about the brain. Mm-hmm.
0: But you went back out, didn't you? Twice.
1: twice. Yeah, twice went back to went back to Iraq I'm that and with that platoon, then um, back to Afghanistan in 2012. I Think is when it was. And, uh, and to this day, uh, the greatest, the greatest thing about being a, a officer is your platoon commander deployment. When you're in, you're in charge, you know I, we were up in the mountains. I had my own platoon, my my own VSP, my own site. I ran it, and we came out of the mountains and went back down to the rear. And I told my we were leaving to go back to our house. And I told my chief, I was like, hey, I'm going to run by a medical real quick and get something for my legs. That night my legs were just, they were just excruciating. They, was, they were still trying to run and I was trying to go to bed. And it just ached and it was horrible. And I walked in and said, hey, doc, man, you got anything for, I don't know what I got going on, but my legs are killing me. He starts asking me some probing questions. And uh, he's like, you ever had a spinal cord injury? And I was like, mm. I have. And. 30 minutes later, I was on a bird out of there. Wow. And my career was over right then. Mm. Yeah, it was ter- tragic.
0: Now, you you're you got a bachelor's in psychology. Yep. <clears throat> and then you took that, you got an advanced degree in neuroscience at yep. um, University of Texas. Yep, UT Dallas. Um, first, what inspired you to even get a degree in psychology? What was that spark that then led to this? No math and all women. That's Fair. It's, it's where to God.
1: <laughs> I mean, I was a CJ major, a biology major, a chemistry major, a kinesiology major. I ran – I mean, I just – i it took me six years to get out of undergrad. Mm. I just – I wasn't built for academia. It was seriously really a social experiment for me. I, I paid my own way through school. Mm. Uh, I, I tell people that's where I cut my teeth and became a man, you know, mm. and learned how to – not everything, you know, you got to earn what you want. In psychology – I say no math and all women. I mean that's that's true. I don't know if you yeah, twenty twenty you probably can't say that anymore, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> but I, it, for whatever reason, a pe- a human behavior piqued my interest. Mm. You know, behavioral sciences piqued my interest. i in my minors a philosophy, and I just always enjoyed the the aspect. It's it's that unknown frontier. You're just, you're trying to pick apart, and everybody's specifically everybody's different. And I, believe it or not, that's that that degree in psychology really helped me. In the military when we were, were dealing with other people and watching mannerisms and characteristics and how to put that together. All the while knowing that I was going to be in the SEAL teams and never use a psychology degree. I had no intention of doing that. But after getting out of the military with that and going back to grad school for cognitive neuroscience, it, it, it definitely it, it helped out tremendously. I, and I studied applied cognitive neuroscience because of my head injury. I was trying mm-hmm. to fix myself. Mm. And the you know, the, the brain is the last bastion of untouched frontier. It's just, it's that three to five pound gelatinous substance between your ears that allows us to contemplate thought, contemplate the contemplation of thought. Allows me to sit here and talk to you and understand what I'm saying. You know, we put a man on the moon, we just you know, we drink drink I'm drinking a Toba Chico. Where'd that come from? You know, the brain is the mechanism that makes everything right up to the point where you we where, where, where you hit God. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there it is. So yeah, the brain is an amazing thing, and I was trying to find the tools to put in my proverbial toolbox to help me get better, and that that led that's that is why I got into neuroscience, because I again, I was not built for school. Uh, I mean, I'm out, I'm an outside guy, but I wanted to fix myself, and I and I struggled through, so I struggled through school again. I mean, <laughs> I was not I, I tell people I graduated last in my class at San Jose State. With that degree, I mean, two I mean, like my dean was like, "Get gone, get leave." You graduated. I did. <laughs> I mean, that's the hardest thing I ever did. That, that was that was hard. Yeah, I got it. I mean, that was the hardest thing I ever done. People bag on me all the time by getting a two I was like, it's the hardest thing I ever did. Mm. I mean, I busted my ass to get that two point oh. You can make fun of me all you want, but you're not gonna outwork me. Mm. So I took that that work ethic and then what I learned in the military, and I graduated uh, magna cum laude out of UT in grad school, <laughs> and I graduated with three nine. Damn statistics got
2: me in <laughs> math again.
1: <laughs> Ooh, anyway, but that's how I got back into grad school. Surely just studying the brain because I just was having so much trouble with that head injury I had. I wanted to figure out how do I bring myself out of this hole I keep finding myself in. You know, fascinating studies, and I and it's a passion of mine now even today.
0: I think one of the things that compels most people when they, when they hear that somebody was a Navy SEAL was – we all have this idea of it's the most it's the hardest, the most grueling. And you, you came and you, you spoke at our uh, company summit a few weeks ago. Yeah, that was great. And, yeah. and you told this story that is just circled and it's gotten around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting how good, good or bad. <laughs> good. It's interesting how you ended up in that pit when you were kind of in that same situation. We were in that tub mm-hmm. when you couldn't stand up straight. Yeah. To go to the bathroom. Yeah. And as you're dealing with with behavioral science and cognition and thought, and decision-making. When you voluntarily go through the most grueling type of training to be the most highly trained operative in the face of the planet, and you also end up suffering a horrible injury to go through rehab and then to go back out again where most people would tap out, you start to look at the resilience of somebody, of where that ability to come to that fork in the road and then lean into what's hard again, when you could lean out and maybe pursue some, pursue something a little bit Softer, less strenuous, less demanding, less risk. Uh, But yet you and your brother both, you have this innate quality about you guys.
1: You know, it's it's nothing that we were, were, again, we we, we grew up on a horse ranch. I mean, Mm. it wasn't something we were born with, something that we uh, maybe developed over time with those that we surrounded ourselves with. Mm. You know, I've always been in the mindset that it's not if but when something's going to happen, especially in the military. And I say especially in the military, in life. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. When I walk out of here, I'm going to get hit by a truck. you know, you know, know. But you never let that define you. No matter the the, the circumstances. That story I told, you know, everybody is going to find themselves in that deep, dark black hole, and you're going to have to crawl out of it. Or you're just going to have to land there for the rest of your life. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And I always keep a, a, a mental attitude about myself because I don't have bad days anymore. Mark's not, you know, we talk about this quite a bit. I don't really have bad days. I have character-building days. If something If something happens to you that... That you didn't expect. That's okay. You know, get to learn from it. You got to keep moving forward. And when I say move forward, I, don't let that particular whatever that circumstance was define you. Mm-hmm. Educate yourself with it, because it will happen again, or somebody that is close to you will happen to them. And you now you have the ability to say, Hey, look, you know, I went through that exact same thing. This is how I navigated those difficult waters. And if you're just gonna, I just always appreciate life as just a. a a series of unfortunate and unexpected events that good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a chapter, it's a page, it's a sentence, a paragraph in my book, of my book of life. And that story I told about us in hell week, you know, I had to get in that hole in order to be a seal. I had to get down in that hole. Every, everybody that ever gone through there had to get down in that hole. And I got in there with all those other guys in there that want to be the exact same thing I was. And it's it's relative experience. I mean, even even in the business world, right? You come into work and you're just having that awful day that nothing is going right, and you find yourself in that hole. No matter how far down there you go, you can always come out of it. And you can all and all of us see somebody that's living in one of them holes. And we we're having that discussion today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be surprised how what what affects how how effective someone that either you were you like one of your employees, one of my employees, or somebody above me, if they just reach down there for a half second, t- a minute, to spend time with me and ask me what's going on, how can I help? Or, hey, let me pray with you, or whatever. You know, how effective that can be. Mm. And, yeah, take it in stride.
0: We're either in one or about to get in one or just got out of one. Yeah. Life is a series of black holes. You're going to find yourself <laughs> in them, no matter
1: what. <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't Don't ever be afraid. Don't ever say, I'm not going to do something because it's going to be hard. Or I'm gonna lose or I'm gonna get hurt. Why would you do that? You you do the you're supposed to do the exact opposite it's how you grow. But
0: what you don't learn you repeat until you do learn it, right?
1: Well, if you <gasps> ever make if you ever make the same mistake twice, you're not paying attention, and you just don't care. And that's not the way to live oh,
0: your life. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's dang, that couldn't be any more true.
1: And, and I, I tell people that work with me, I tell people when I'm out on the campaign trail, I was like, Look, I promise you one thing. I will make mistakes. I'm human. I'll never make the same mistake twice, mm. because if I do that, it means I'm not paying attention. And I don't care, and it's my job to pay attention. So, so let's talk to.
3: So, go ahead. The campaign trail, Eighth District. Yeah. Is there was there a single catalyst that was the finality of you wanting to run, or was it this a my series home. of events?
1: It's my home. I oh, mean, there, 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 there's, there, there is a a series of. Things that lined up, but it, I grew up here. It is, it was, it's my home, and I've, I have, I have either lived, gone to school, hunted, or fished, and have family in every one of the counties in the district. and I speak the language, mm-hmm. and if if you ask, well, are there any certainties in this? Like, yeah, we're certain we have to have somebody represent this district. We do. There has to be a congressional member from District Eight, and I was of the mindset if somebody was going to knock on my door, I'd want them to walk up and say, "Hey, look, I was raised here."
2: Mm.
1: I, I see, I understand, and I know what these farmers and ranchers want, and I know what these folks that live in the city want. You know, because I've done both. You know, and I I, I took something from the, the, <laughs> the Spartan community when the, the Persian Empire was coming after them. You know, because in this game of politics, people have often asked me, it's like, well, what if, are they going to take something away from you? Or what if they're going to, you know, what if they come after you? They try to hurt you. I was like, well, I have, I literally, and the person, the, the Spartans like, I don't know why they would come after us because they can't, they can't out, they can't outfight fight our poverty. Mm-hmm. We're so poor. We've ha- we have literally nothing but our land and our pride. Right. And I've, I've been at the bottom. I've been in that black hole. You can't take anything away from me. I've been just as miserable and lonely than, than anybody, you know, relative. So I'm not worried about how hard it is, how scary it is. All I care about is fighting and defending and representing everyone from here. And I mean, taking it right on the chin, bloody, it doesn't matter, 15 rounds. I, I love it. And I didn't have anybody come up to my door and knock, knock on my door and say that. And that's why that's why I'm doing this.
3: <laughs> the Spartan mentality, we all anything... Other than our land and our pride to fight for. Sounds kind of like a current world event that we were just talking about a you little think? ago. <laughs> <laughs> a little similarities there. Yeah. So Kevin Brady was in the seat for... 25 years. 25 years? Yeah. What are some of the things that you appreciate that he accomplished?
1: So he he passed the um, uh, the most recent tax cut for the country. And he'd been, he'd been fighting that guy. He'd been fighting that guy. It was the first time in, what, 30 years maybe? So 80... I missed this. To 83, 86, I think, is when our last um, restructuring of the tax codes went through and he, and he championed that guy the whole time he was in ways and means mm-hmm. wait So I, you know, I was a little ignorant to the details of ways and means. I thought that was just a small business. We're working a tax code, but that's so that's, that's social security. That's Medicare. That's it. T- ways and means touches the human existence. And it, he did a, a lot of things. Most notably is the the, the tax cuts for businesses and, and, private citizens. Mm-hmm. He teed up one thing that most people don't know about. It's called the windfall exclusion act. You guys ever heard of this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's for teachers. It's for first resp- police, police officers, first responders and educators. Okay. It's a bill that was passed. We're trying to get rid of it and he's trying to get rid of it. But uh, maybe a decade ago, uh, a, Provision was passed. A law was passed that says if you were a firefighter, if you work a s- second job, because firefighters work 24 hours every two weeks or every mm-hmm. week, right? You know, or like a police officer. Police officers, they do their jobs, but a lot of them work second jobs in order to make ends meet. If you work your second job, you only get a certain percentage when you re- once you retire. You're paying into Social Security. You, know? you only You don't get your full benefit. You only get a portion of it. They're out. They're out almost nine hundred dollars a month because of it.
3: Wow! So because they take care of the family today, they get penalized down the road.
1: And they are our educators, our first responders, and our police. Officers. Can you believe that? Wow! That's the horrible thing I've ever heard. Because they don't get paid anyway, and they're the backbone of our entire district and country. Mm-hmm. You know, they're our educators of our children, mm-hmm. and it's just it's. Just, and I they're uh, they're really up, upset about that. And I want to make sure that that's something I, especially here and I did, they're really upset about that yeah. here.
3: So flip side of that question, what are a couple of things that you hope to be able to accomplish that Kevin couldn't accomplish?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, our border is a big deal here. And when we talk about border, border security and immigration, immigration laws, that's a political wind. that seems to ebb and flow with the changing of the administrations or the, or the house of the Senate. Um, we have never, and, uh, and unfortunately, when there's a political hot button, like our border, like our um, economy, like our excessive spending, you know, those are some things that should never be out of control. Those are some things that should be, there should be that synergy that allows us to live in harmony. But unfortunately, they use those things as a political um, wedge and, a, and political leverage in order to get elected mm-hmm. and things that kevin brady what were not it's impossible to do thing anything by yourself in congress And be you know we know that let's be very clear it takes a majority vote to pass any regulation to get that thing across so i won't blame congressman brady for anything you know um, he's one part of the big team uh if i was to point any fingers i'm like hey look we, we we as a team need to come together i'm a walk back regulation guy I mean, I think we got plenty of laws on the books right now. I <laughs> think there's yeah, too many I of feel. them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I'm a, I'm a tech, medical, and energy independent guy, and I think we we in here in the country need to bring those three things back inside our borders because we're very dependent on everyone else around the the globe for those mm-hmm. three things. Um, I mean, if you really look at it, medical independence we, we got to go to China to get our all of our ingredients for our medications, mm-hmm. and our PPE. And we, we got a pandemic from China. I mean, that just doesn't seem right. It's not right. Uh, our energy independence, we have, we, I mean, here, even in Texas, we could
0: supply the entire country for
1: decades. Yeah. Right out of our own state.
0: Matter of fact, we had a PPE company set up right across the street from us. Uh, Wildcat? Yeah, oh, I'm Wildcat. Sure you did, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> that place was humming like crazy there for a while.
1: And um Tech. I'm big tech guy. And we don't do any of that here. I mean, if Taiwan falls to China, we are in trouble, fellas.
0: I mean that's what caused the, the chip shortage for all the vehicles. Still still to this day. Yeah.
1: Right now. Yeah. And with the with what's happening over on in Ukraine with Russia, China's watching. I'd be willing to bet there China President Xi's sitting there watching how far Putin's gonna go and the reaction of NATO and the United States to see what they do with this action that's going on in Ukraine. And if it's minimal China's going to take Taiwan.
3: So one of the issues around, or one of the hot topics on regulation is also with subsidies. So it's kind of a government mindset that if you regulate an industry, then the government's job is to subsidize the industry to support the regulations. Mm -hmm. If you deregulate it, then the government should be free from subsidizing that industry because it's no longer the government's responsibility in large part. How would I, uh, let's take...
1: (laughs) Yeah, you got to give me one. Don't throw me to the wolves and say, which one? <laughs> so you got to so give me one.
3: I don't know the specifics about it, but there's conversations around uh, Verizon, AT&T, Comcast, cell phone towers, networks, fibers, 4G, 5G, so on and so forth that was heavily yeah. subsidized by the government over the last couple of decades to build the infrastructure um, while at the same time deregulating those entire industries mm-hmm. to where the costs of those to the consumer were through the roof. Yep. So there's that balance.
1: There is, and I think that's another one of those things when the the politicians and the lobbyists got in a bed together. Now, us, the people, we, the people, are feeling that. Pay, pay for it? Yeah, paying for it. That's, mm. that's, I'll always be, you know, I, sometimes I'll say things that make people uncomfortable. Like, you ask a question, I'm going to let you know right now. I mean, and that's just the case right there. We, we are so dependent on that technology right now that's in our pockets, or we're sitting here in front of us on this computer screen that it is the, it is the bandwidth at which we communicate and we thrive and we live through business, through, so, through business, personal, government. It happens. And since there's really no definable lane of how all of that works, yeah, they're going to come in, they're going to subsidize because the government needs it. But at the end of the day, we're the ones get penalized yeah. for it. So where's so where does it live, right? Should we, like you said, should we take away the subsidies and in, in the regulations? We're like, well, okay, free market. Oh, I'm always about to, I'm a free market guy. Hey man, you got to get in, and compete for it, and you got to win. If you want it bad enough, you got to fight for it. And I've actually been beat up about that too, you know, because there's companies out there that just they have become something that nobody ever saw. Google, Amazon, mm-hmm. Microsoft. I mean, those things live. Face, Facebook. Those things are so powerful and my 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 response was like hey look you know if you don't like what you're seeing change it create something and i I get beat up for that quite a bit and and i and and the reason i say that is because i own a business you guys own a business you fought your asses off to start this business how would you feel if somebody came in and slapped regulations on you like oh you can't do that anymore you know i don't care how hard you worked like i used i used um have you ever seen that that iconic image of um, um, Jeff Bezos when he's sitting in his office, like in his basement? And it says Amazon on like yeah, yeah, like in drawn, broke, yeah. just broke. Yeah, but would not quit. Mm-hmm. And look what he has now. You know, I don't fault the guy for that at all. I'm not going to bag on him, and I'm not going to say, "Hey, look, you you shouldn't have what you have." Because tonight, when I get home and I need some dog food, I'm going to jump on it and get it. <laughs> Tomorrow, you know what I mean. Tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, or maybe yeah. even tonight. Um, where? How do you fi- how do you fix the, how do you fix that particular problem? I think I, you know it's something that's that's it, a that's a whiteboard think tank thing. I wish I had a, a perfect answer for you. I don't.
3: We saw through the pandemic, where the state of Texas tried to overregulate our industry, barbershops, haircuts. Yeah. Tell them when we can operate, how we can operate, if we can even open the doors. Threatened being arrested. Yeah. Remember how that head? felt?
1: Yeah, it's terrible. And I, and I say, I mean, the less government that's living and breathing in anything is is appropriate. I mean, our government was defined or, or created for very small things. <laughs> Defending our borders, which they don't do. Coining money and and taxes, I understand. But I'm man, that's gotten out of control, too. And that's it. Not come down here and tell you when, when and how you should operate. And that whole pandemic thing, man, I just went, politics got into science. Politics got into research, and it ruined it.
3: The egos of a lot of politics, well, people in general, there's a lot of egos. Right? Everybody's got an ego with how you manage it, how you control it, and how you funnel it is important. Colin Powell said it. Uh, I don't know if you read Colin Powell's book. It worked for me, is what's it's called. Uh, and one of his rules of life, he has 25 rules of life. And one of it was... Never let your ego get so close to your position that if your position fails, your ego does also. That's one of the things that happened, especially during the pandemic, was it became an ego. No one could be wrong. And there's two sides or three sides to an argument. And no one can accept a defeat or an accept changing their thought process. So we just, everybody dug their heels in. It's funny. Their position just, they couldn't say their we ego. were wrong. They were tied yeah. so close together.
1: Oh, hey, you know what? It's funny you say that. I, was having a, I had something happen to me. I was, I was in charge. I was still in the military, and I could not figure out what was going on. I could not fix the problem. Mm. I couldn't, no matter who I was talking to, no matter what I tried, I could not fix the problem. And I walked in and looked in the fucking mirror, and it was staring me right back in the face. It was me. I was the problem. And I fixed it right there. That's that Colin Powell rule is exactly what you're saying. And I dropped that ego, and it was, it was my ego It was getting in the way because I got told to do something I didn't want to do. And I was just fighting it tongue-in-cheek, not seeing bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And I took a hard look in the mirror, and I was like, there it is right there. Yeah. And fixed it. Right there. And it was great. And life was so much better after. I mean, I'm not saying it weren't growing pain, but it just turned out to be such bliss after the fact I dropped all that horse shit and said, okay, you know what? Yeah, here, I'm. all right, I apologize. It came out. It's my fault, my fault. I got this. <laughs> and I, mean, I broke it all the way down to lowest common denominator. A single single point of failure was this guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned more of my failures than I have in my successes. And that was one of them. Oh, man, that's, yeah.
3: How many are <laughs> running in the primary?
1: There's 11 of us. Yeah. Today's the last day of early voting. And Tuesday's the, March 1st is the, this is a, this is a primary election in our district. It's, that's whoever takes that seat. Whoever takes primary is going.
3: Is there a competitor from the other side? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there is. This is uh, our district, Montgomery County, Walker County, Sanderson, and Polk Counties, and uh, Northwest Harris County. It's the um, reddest district in the country. Mm-hmm.
3: 70, Montgomery County, 78% Trump? and 20?
1: Yeah, I thought it was actually eighty, like 81, but yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's a big deal around here.
0: You know, from a personal level, and, you know, when you look at people that, that are running, they're coming from here, you're fifth generation from here, mm-hmm. but there's a unique quality, I think, about you. That nobody else that's running can compare. This is not an ego thing for uh, what I'm going to say to you, Morgan. Because, uh, and this is what I think people need to understand: uh, when you come from the seals, when you come from having to make decisions at a time where, and you're trained to you're trained to make clear cognitive choices when you're in the most stressful environment possible, when everything goes to shit. And you've got to be able to remain clear. That's why, from what I've read and gathered, and I fan out with seals in mm-hmm. the videos, but it's always the training and it's 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 inducing stress, chaos, and battlefield uh, scenarios habitually over and over again, shooting over and over again, so that you can make clear, concise, sharp decisions in those moments. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do, and what about what you're going to have to face to do in, in Congress. Because in emotion, in narratives that are driven by lobbyists, by deep pockets, and people are throwing shade, to be able to have the ability to think clear and concise and big picture in those moments is what I think makes you way more equipped than anybody else. Well, thank you.
1: Yeah. F- always remembering exactly what your role and responsibility is and who you represent will allow you to do great things in DC. When you lose, when you think it's about you, Mm. And what you think is appropriate, then you've lost. That's why I'm not. That's why I'm a term limits guy. That's it. Three terms. I'm out. Yeah. It's after that, come home and run my business, raise my babies. <laughs> I tell people three terms. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to say two, but the first one you trying of figure it out. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then I'm gonna like you guys. I mean, it's tough going fifteen rounds.
2: Mm.
1: You know. And that's every day you're up there, you're in, you're in the ring. Mm. And after you can appreciate this, I mean, after you get beat on and beat on and beat on, you're like, all right, what do I got to do not to get beat on? Well, I can just kind of start to go along and get along. So my philosophy is I get up there and slug it out as hard as I can. And then bring some, then attack somebody else in like your turn, (laughs) but you got to earn this. This isn't been, this isn't no, I mean, this campaign, this has been challenging. I mean, it's tough. People just, just talking all kinds of ugliness towards me and I'm trying to be appropriate here, but you know, saying, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) some things I see, I'm like, where could you eat? I mean, yeah, it's a bit much.
0: Has it been hard on your family a little bit? Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: But we came in this together as a family. We made this, we knew we're like, Hey, look, this, this, this is not gonna be cool. It's not gonna be Mm -hmm. cool at all. And the hard, and you know what the worst part about it, is it's Republicans that are doing it. I ain't even going on a Democrat yet. <laughs> really? You know, wow. it's it's on the Republican side they're just tearing my ass up. And, but hey, you know that's all right. And I'm a high ground guy. I have I have never said one ill word about my opponents. and never will. I never say anything. I praise in public and criticize in private. Mm-hmm. And if I got to take you to the woodshed, nobody's gonna know about it.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so give me let me let me walk through a large level of our team for a second, and kind of their thought process collectively, not singular, but collectively when it comes to kind of the Democrat, Republican, red, blue, so on, so forth. Yeah. 680 employees across 66 stores, and three brands. The majority of them are younger in age, under 30. Um, heavy minority, heavy single moms. Mm-hmm. They can associate themselves with a lot of conservative values, uh, lower taxation, lower regulation, yep strong military and defense. Uh, there's a lot of things they connect with, but there's never been that connection piece between that demographic base and the social family values of the conservative base. seems to only be the disconnect.
1: What do they say? Uh,
3: Why? Uh, abortion is an example. Yeah. Uh, um, marriage, family, because it's going against what there is. So there seems to be this dividing line where it's young Democrats and old Republicans. I wouldn't now say well, I'm, a, I'm like not that. an old
1: Republican. I'm a young Republican.
3: <laughs> yeah, the old man, like under 30. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right? okay. So, if we have uh, um, barbers and hairstyles, they're trying to buy their first house, they're trying to buy their first car, they're trying to put their kid through preschool, mm-hmm. they're living paycheck to paycheck or two paychecks at a time. Um, they have little debt and little desire to obtain debt. They're trying to go through the first tribulations of life and a lot of the social aspects that conservatives typically don't like to do, government assistance. Mm-hmm. Welfare, WIC, um, housing, affordable housing, uh, um, uh, child tax credits A lot of those things that typically are more liberal in mind. Yep. What sets off a lot of people? What turns off a lot of people go that,
1: to go that way? So I, that's one of those, another one of those things I usually don't back down after because I had to, I struggled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying I don't see. I'm not saying I don't feel for people that struggle, but I, I struggled. Struggling is part of life. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. And when, and I'm not saying there's there's not there's not things out there that are appropriate for single moms that are they're working two jobs and have three kids and they're just getting their butts handed to them. Yeah, they're, they're, there's those types of things. My problem is when when those particular programs get put in place, they don't they don't ever get walked back, and they just keep adding to them, add to them, and then you just find it's just an out of control spending spree that can never be walked back, and then it's then it's taken advantage of an
3: unmanageable it's a, yeah government dependency.
1: And I mean, we are thirty trillion dollars in debt and the vast majority of that is on social programs mm. social security medicare medicaid and i'm not saying there's not that that doesn't need to be there but what it's how it seems the, the lens at which i see it is today is they're just like absolutely going to give you everything don't even go to work you know what don't you don't even have to we got you mm-hmm. you know what we'll pay for everything we got to float the bill for that. Somebody's got to pay for it. And you hear him's like, well, that's, well, we could print our own money. So we don't have to worry about that. If you guys had the, we're in the red, like our country is, they wouldn't put, they wouldn't put you out of business. they put you in jail.
2: Mm-hmm. They
1: would. And so it it, 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 all works in this synergistic system, right? And then people, do, I try to say, Hey, look, you need to take, you need to look at this thing as a big picture model here. Like. We can do as many social programs as we want and help you out, but your kids, there's not, they're not going to be in there if for them. And we can help you right now, but there's nothing, nothing's going to be there for them. Social Security's not going to be there for your kids. Not going to be there for my kids. It's, it's going to go it in, in 10 years mm-hmm. or faster than that. And th- that's why, and I don't speak for this Republican, me, is why I'm against those, those programs. And, w- and how they are because it's it's endless and now p- politicians on, on the democratic side are just using it for hey I'll give you a $1,500 a month not to go to work if you just vote for me <laughs> you know you see how the economy lives right now you see what inflation looks like we, we can't spur we're trying to spur economic growth through excessive spending
2: mm-hmm.
1: the Federal Reserve is printing money hand over fist that's why inflation is over skyrocket it's almost hyperinflation what comes after hyperinflation a dramatic recession I mean, it's just this up, and and that's going to take about 10 years. You know, as hard as it is to get up every morning and go out and work, you have to do that. You you can't sit there and just say, hey, look, give me everything I, I need and I want if you want to have your country for your kids. You can't do that.
3: How do you influence citizens that are well off? To become more of a job creator or more of a philanthropist or more of a helping their fellow man up so the government doesn't have to do it.
1: We had the conversation today. It was about social security, how you solve social security. And we were talking to a a gentleman that was very, very, very successful. And he's like, do you think I deserve my social security benefits when I retire? No, you don't. And you've paid into it your entire life for 35 years. You don't, because you don't need it. And a Quite a few people I talk to that are successful. Like, I don't even want it. They just give it to me. Mm-hmm. So this, this, there needs to be a restructuring of the system itself mm-hmm. for that to work. Um, Answer the question again. I, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to say that social security piece. You're
3: on the social security piece 100%, but how do you get the average citizen, the job creator or the businessman or the millionaire, the billionaire, the oh, Jeff to Bezos create jobs? To say, I, let me help my fellow man more so the government doesn't have to. Let me relieve the burden whoa, of the government. Whoa.
1: Yeah, my human nature.
3: <laughs> more of a citizen <laughs> statesman.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know that's. I mean, I don't even take a salary out of my company; I give it to my employees. It's the selfish end of it, you know. And so the average
3: person's looking at Jeff Bezos.
1: Like, why do you need penis-shaped rocket?
3: 100, and saying like, you,
1: like yeah. why you need a hundred billion dollars? Yeah, oh, I, I, you know, so you much know, more use. I understand, um, and I, you know, there's human nature, and if you can define human nature, you'll you you you've solved it, you know, and it's. How much is enough? Is what you're asking. Mm-hmm. You know, do I need do I need trillions of dollars? I mean, I don't, but you know, maybe some people do. If you just could, you imagine what kind of distribution or if you were to hire so many people that you could pay a hundred thousand dollars a year off of a that that amount of money that 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 particular company takes in. Yeah, that's that's amazing. But I'm not going to let every, I'm not going to let people off off the off the hook here. Are there actually going to be people to show up to do it? Even if Jeff Bezos was like, "I'll give, i I will create jobs and a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. I need ten, I need five hundred thousand people to come to work, and I'll pay every single one of you hundred. How many things would show up? Probably not
3: that many. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: So don't look at it like the the, the guys that are, and girls that have created it are the bad people. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm just being honest and you know, open here. You know how many people would show up?
3: election system it's 2022 yeah and we're still electing by paper ballots with the risk of security and, it, and not, not paper and
1: not paper ballots electronic, electronic ballots electronic ballots the risk of everything yeah and you're How's, a big cyber security guy too a huge cyber security guy yeah. Yeah. How's the
3: most technologically advanced country in the history of the world still manages to not be perfect at it
1: because there's people more perfect at us that don't want us that to have that success hmm And that is the nature of the metaverse and the cyberspace. Those who have will always take away from those who almost have. And, you know, in our election system, you know, you should go back to paper ballots. You know, that's the best way to secure it. But then you have to have accountability. And that's what I tell people with this voter integrity. We pass laws all the time. It's like you can't speed over 70 miles an hour on the freeway. I do it every day. I probably shouldn't say that, but I do. You know, I, I got a heavy foot. And unless there's a cop sitting there, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I won't. When it comes to election integrity and, and voter and voter um, voter integrity, show up. People are less apt to break the rules if there is somebody standing there. You know, if you if you if you don't vote, then you can't complain. If you vote, and you're not active, and you're not at the polling, I've been at the polling sites every single day. You know, I'm am I'm, I'm a candidate, but you know I'm there. And I tell people, "Hey, be a polling judge, show up. It's only a day out of your life, and then you can watch everything that goes down." It's like that's not you're not supposed to be doing that. You know, you got to raise awareness, but if you don't, we won't. And Montgomery County actually has the uh, highest voter integrity, uh, I think, in the country. Most it is definitely in the state. You know, they should model. What Montgomery County, and Walker County look like? It's very, both sides blue, blue and red. There are judges and pre, uh, precinct chairs and judges and um, volunteers. Are, they're all in there. Everything, everything. There's harmony. Everything's great, but on one side's a checks and balance, and it's it's very fluid. It's very systematic, and it works very well. I mean, but you go into Harris County, and it's a nightmare, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. since people don't show up,
3: what can the federal level do? To respect states' rights with their own voting laws, stay away. Stay away entirely. Let the states
1: do it. Stay away. That's my job as a congressional member. Keep the keep the federal government away from the states. Voting, education. Let let states handle it. <coughs> federal government should not be involved in that. It, it 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 has the ability to go so far in either direction in such a hurry, it, it would just be out of control. It would. I mean. Let's just speak hypothetically. You have an administration, a Senate, a House, majority, and you pass all the laws that only half the country want, and it affects every single state. How bad would that be? Terrible. Either direction. Either direction. Yeah, I'll just say that's why I just said administration. Either direction. How, how terrible would that be? It belongs in the states. That's in our Constitution.
3: So federal responsibility is really focused on Border control, national security. And
1: oh yeah, Article 4, Section 4, I mean, you, they're supposed to protect us.
3: Federal infrastructure, social programs.
1: Be careful with social programs, but, you know, there's some things the states can do very well that the government, you know, federal government should stay away from too. The more limited, you know, not small, but limited government. Federal government should be limited, not small. And limited in its ability and scope, and its li- it's outlined in the Constitution. Every article, every section, and every amendment. And over the decades, we've just delegated authorities to places that it shouldn't be. Where the congressional members, you know why we get, you know why you vote for a congressional member every two years? Because you can get them. If they screw up, you can get them, because congressional members make the laws. They had the, the Congress is the most powerful branch. Don't don't anybody tell you otherwise. Those three branches that are equal. That's not the case at all. It's the Congress. It's everything. That's why you can get to them every time. Our founding fathers knew that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's why they put that in place. Supreme Court, the judicial system, they're supposed to enact the laws that are passed by the Congress. Not, It's not open for interpretation of what they think and how they run, want to run the country. That's not it at all. The Congress does that. We have a judge, a precinct somewhere in the country that's doing – Congress can get rid of them altogether. Get rid of the whole thing. They have that power, but right now you have people in the con- in, in the Congress that have been there for so long. They just they've lost sight, in my opinion. They just they, they forget where our foundation comes from.
3: Mm-hmm. No connectivity, to their jurisdiction, their community. Yeah. Supreme Court. Uh, the new justice pick.
1: Okay, somebody said, I, "Who is it?"
3: I just heard on the radio on the way back here. Jackson.
1: Okay, I don't know who that is.
3: Public defender, female, public defender, uh, then attorney, and
1: then judge. I'm not sure exactly where. Seemed qualified? I haven't done any research on it. I knew he had three, I think. Three three possibles? Three possibles. Yeah.
3: I, I don't know anything about her, with the exception. just heard her name on the radio on the way here.
1: Yeah, I'll have to dig in and see what's going on. Better do it in a hurry. Come January.
3: I think we should increase the... No. The size of this no. Port? No.
1: You think we should decrease it. I think it's just fine the way it is. Leave it be. It's it's like that for a reason.
3: It's increased in the '80s, right? I think increased one member in the '80s. It's I
1: thought increased. it's always been nine. Hmm.
3: Maybe I'm wrong. You probably know more than me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know uh, was, uh, 1935, Roosevelt wanted to go to, thir- go to 13, I think. Nine's fine. Leave it where it is. Call it good. You're
3: for term limits.
1: Absolutely. Uh, by
3: law or by. Uh, so it'll never pass. So, term, so,
1: so, so there's some things we should have in the Constitution. We should have a balanced budget amendment. If we were one vote away from getting that. I think, it was, I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s, I think. One vote from a bunch of You know how amazing that would be? We're $30 trillion in debt. <coughs> 30, trillion, $30 trillion. Google debt clock.
0: Yeah.
1: You guys seen that? Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has like 30 different things on it. I mean, we've been in here for an hour. The debt went up probably $400 million.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so... Term limits and a balanced budget amendment will only be, in my opinion, it'll never get passed through through the through Congress. It'll have to be a convention of the states, mm. and Article Five in the Constitution, which has never been enacted, but our forefathers put that in there for a very good reason because they knew way back then that one day we would need it. So, if a, three, if a majority of the states come, we need thirty-eight states to ratify the Constitution, and you could add a balanced budget amendment and term limits. And <sighs> people ask, like, well, what's term term limits look like for a Congress and a Senate? Well, I mean, two terms for the president. I've, I've said um, five terms for a congressional member, 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it takes about 10 years to committee. And um, what was it? Uh, two terms for uh, Senate. 12 years. 12 years? Yeah. And then go back out and do what you're supposed to do. I mean, that's how it was intended. hmm And, I mean, 20 years in the military, you're out. Four year or two terms, eight years in, in present, you're out. People just get in there, and it ain't about money when you're, I've seen it. It's not about money out there. It's, it's presence and power, positional authority. Mm-hmm. That's what they care about.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is ego. It's ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. Which, that's self-serving. It so is. You're not serving the people. you can't, You
1: can't tell me somebody up there that's been there for 40 years, is 80 years old, has the pulse on what's going on it's in their district. It's actually going on? It's <laughs> actually going on in their district. hmm You can't tell me that. Yeah. I wouldn't believe me if they tried. And that's Republican and Democrat. hmm I'm not throwing stones at just one particular party. I'm saying you, you got no idea what that <laughs> those 20-year-olds are talking about. Hell, I'm 40, and it's challenging. So, anyway.
3: Between now and past the primary, what can
1: we do to help out? Oh, yeah, thanks for asking. You know, it's now to the primary, which is in four four days. Uh, If you haven't voted yet, do your homework on the candidates. I mean, dig in. Show up to one of these polling. If you're local, show up to these polling sites. If you're not, and, and, like, if you want to contribute or support in some way, go on, look up. Our, our congressional candidates and do your homework on every single one of us and figure out which which one you align. And I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. I mean, I don't agree with 95% or, or, or I don't agree with 50% of what you say, but the other 50, you seem like you're a viable candidate to represent because it's a, it's a red district. One of us is going. Mm-hmm. And then get out and vote. It, there's 767,000 people in my district. 25,000 vote in the primary. You said 760,000 people in District 8? 767,000. Wow. wow. 25,000 will get out and vote in the primary. If there's a runoff, it would be about 10 grand. And I think the number for the general election is probably around 200 out of 700,000
0: people. Why do you think there's always such a low voter turnout? I mean, this I is t- historical. You
1: know, I just, it's. Um, When I, was in Afgh- when I was in Iraq one year down in um, Salter City. You guys remember that place? Mm-hmm. We were pulling in. They were having an election. And we came pulling in right around. They were having it at the police station. It was a graduation, and they were having an election. And some dude walked in there with an vest and killed 300 people. And we showed up about three and a half minutes. I mean, there's body parts all over the wall. I mean, it, like, it looks like somebody just dumped out a grinder because they were voting. They, you have no idea how fortunate people don't understand how fortunate I have that right to vote. It is a big deal. in every election I, and I, you know, I didn't do this either when I was a kid or I was in the military, you know, I voted in the general election. I just didn't, I was like, who, whoever goes, goes, well, look where we are now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's, I'm part of the problem. You know, cause I, I did it too. I'm trying to fix it, but I did not, I did not focus in on my elected officials like I should have. And we call it a grid. Just call it ignorance. Call it whatever you want. But I just didn't do that. I didn't. I didn't. I was front frontside focused on my career or my kids or being a dumbass when I was a you know just name it. I mean, mm-hmm. politics wasn't a thing. But it should be. It absolutely should be.
0: People have this assumption that their vote doesn't, ma- their single oh, vote so doesn't matter. They're one. Oh, I've had so many people tell me that. Yeah. What told good me. is it? What good is it? Is it going to do?
1: Uh, right. oh, I got a buddy of mine who won. He had three vote. He won by three votes. Three votes. Tell me, your vote doesn't count. Yeah.
0: Oof. yeah. You know, I went to your rally at here uh, on our cafe. Yeah, oh yeah, and, appreciate uh, you coming out to that. I got to tell you, Morgan, I've never been to a rally before, ever. It was uh, my first one too. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good one to go to. <laughs> it was my first one. And too. Uh, you know, I silently go vote. I do my thing. I don't really talk about my political beliefs because I'm I'm not trying to change people's opinions. I love to learn. Mm-hmm. Um. But I have never felt more patriotic than being there that day. And the coolest thing, Morgan, was at this table uh, of several of these people that were there. And one lady said, um, just the turnout to support you made them go, this is what I'm voting for. Another couple, uh, probably two seats away, I heard the wife look at the husband and goes, I don't know how to early vote, but let's go do it. So it was cool to see the sentiment of people that showed up. A lot of people that knew you and knew of you. Mm Um, or just wanted to support the candidate. Uh, But it was really cool to be a part of something like that, especially in that space, which was humbling in and and of itself. Yeah, the Honor Cafe (laughs) in Conroe. Yeah. uh,
1: It's just a really, it's a a good representation. Man, you had some really cool
0: people come up and say some great things about you. Yeah. Governor Rick Perry. Governor Perry. But you actually, you have some experience in D.C. already because you were a special advisor to him when he was the Secretary of the Department of Energy, correct?
1: I was, yeah, yeah. He brought me up there as senior advisor to him. Uh, one of the programs that I started when I was in grad school was helping veterans and veteran, veteran health care. And, it, and uh, they were like, hey, can you come up here and utilize the Department of Energy, which people's like energy, to uh, scale up what you're doing to, to save and help veterans, help and save veterans. And I was like, sure, absolutely. So I came up there. So the Department of Energy, it's very eloquently mistitled. It should be called the Department of Everything. Mm. I mean, it, it touches every aspect of human existence inside our country and abroad. I mean, if the DOE was shut down, our country would shut down. It's one of those necessities, like mm. the DOD. Yeah, and we this this yeah. So the so the DOE Department of Energy cured Ebola when it hit our when it hit our country. Mm. The lab, the researchers, the scientists, the doctors, and the in the computers at the DOE cured Ebola. Wow. Yeah, no, nobody knows that the the DOE invented the artificial retina. The DOE maintains our nuclear arsenal. The DOE houses 17 national laboratories and all of our supercomputers. And Secretary Perry brought me up there and he's like, hey, I want you to to utilize the DOE to solve these problems of traumatic brain injury and cancer and opioid and suicide and all this kind of stuff. I was like, in suicides, we're doing computational analytics to see, okay, what is the trait that leads people to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, we run scenario based algorithms off the computers. And I was like, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm on my way. Uh, great experience. I learned a lot in DC, man, DC. I learned a lot there because uh, I had to stand up in office, get a budget, build a team and where I had to work across the aisle. It was great. I was in the business of saving lives. So I hit the Democrat and I, I was, I was, and I worked under president Trump, but I was, I met with just as many on the blue side as I did on the red side. Cause again, I was just like, Hey, look, I'm here. I'm here to help you solve cure cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, believe me, c- cancer is colorblind. Mm-hmm. So it's traumatic brain injury, you know, things like that. And they were like, yeah, how do we do this? So my, my job was to move data information and I created partnerships with institutes of public private institutes of science, technology, and medicine. You know, for over the over the past decades, we've just come so brilliant in collecting data, like healthcare data. Like two males, average age, height, you know, you got this mm-hmm. DNA structure, blah, blah, blah. You know, really in imaging on the brain and all that kind of stuff. And the in the beautiful part about us we have all this information that we can solve these problems but the the bad part about us when there is so much information that we can't compute it there's just so much information you don't know which piece of information which piece of data to use to solve a problem because there's so much of it so what we started doing is it was actually a brilliant plan Um, we actually started moving data sets let's just say for instance like on the brain traumatic brain injury was my thing right so I started with traumatic brain injury so we um, we started moving data sets of the brain, healthy brains. Hundreds of thousands of healthy brain images, depth, scope, durations, different kinds, right? And we put it in this enclave, this where we housed it. It's called Enclave, all right? And we partnered with a traumatic brain ICU ward in California. So the doctor was sitting there with a, with a traumatic brain injury patient. And he would image that guy's, guy's or girl's brain. And he would shoot that imagery over to the laboratory where all those healthy brain pictures were housed. Okay? And the computer would take the damaged brain and compare it to all these hundreds of thousands of data points on this healthy brain. And in a matter of minutes, would send it back to the neurologist and say, chances are the damage is here. This is how deep it is. This is the scale and scope of it. You need to go to surgery right now. This is probably going to be the outcome. This will be the symptomatic issues they're faced with. Oh. This is the pharma unit. That was what we did. Wow. Right? Never been done before. And normally in ICU, you get a scan. In a couple of days, it would come back. Mm-hmm. We, we brought it back in a couple of minutes. You think about that. So, like, if we if there was a little dock in a box right here. This is what we were trying to build up. There's a little dock in a box out here. And you walked in. and the doctors, you, The doctor gives you diagnostic workup. Types it in the computer, and he's like, patient so-and-so has these many symptoms. It would sh- shoot it over to that that place where we were storing all that information. And in a matter of seconds, it would come back compared to trillions and trillions of doctor's notes across the gl- country. And you go, 99.9%, you have the flu without even testing you. Right? Imagine that. Imagine how great that would be if somebody in – Montana, out in the middle of nowhere, had access to every single piece of information that the most brilliant scientists, doctors, neuroscientists, whatever, put together. And that lived and breathed, And that's what we were building. Uh, that's what he. That's what I went up there to do. Um, unfortunately, this this it's not there anymore. Wow, no it, kidding. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't. Uh,
0: administrations flip.
2: Just it, went down the water. It's a
0: thing. It's a thing. Wow. Yeah. So it's out there floating around somewhere. It's just like a, a CPU terminal collecting dust. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: gone. Wow. Believe that? Mm-hmm. So, and as in my second, I stepped up another office, uh, office of artificial intelligence. And our, our job was to, to um, you know, everybody talks about quantum computing and quantum space and singularities and all that kind of stuff. And we were doing cyber threats, cyber risks, assessments, and whatnot, um, which is very applicable now considering what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and China. Mm-hmm. And it died too pants going and just, um, it's funny when, you know, administration's flipped it's just like, if it wasn't our idea, it's, we got other ones and we'll fund something else. And it just,
0: from yeah. a cyber perspective, where do you think, uh, for average Joe Smith that they're, or even from a, a company or a, a country standpoint, what's the, uh, what's an area that people could either consider protecting how, from a cyber security level from a personal level, and then from a, yeah. like an enterprise level, it's it's I I don't differentiate between the two. Mm. I mean, you
1: got I mean, somebody takes your business just as bad as somebody takes your bank account or yeah. steals your identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot worse things on life than dying, and when somebody ruins your credit, mm-hmm. steals your identity, buys all kinds of stuff, you know that that hurts. Somebody yeah. malware, spyware, you know, um, sandworm—they send that in there and they scuttle your business, take all your stuff. You got to pay a ransom. Right now, the the response to the federal government when somebody gets hit with ransomware is like pay it. You know, it shouldn't be that way. You just be very cautious. And I, it's, I'm not trying to scare anybody. You know, it's it's the space we live in. But be cautious, be careful. You know, you get on Facebook, get Instagram, whatever. You, 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 do, you, do you read the terms and conditions? No, you just click and go. And they're telling you on there right now, we're gonna we're gonna sell your data, and every single piece of data point you put into that into that platform is open source. And I don't care if you secure it or not. If he's like, I want it to be private, it's not private. Mm-hmm. It lives and breathes on their servers. Mm-hmm. So if anybody hacks their servers, it's gone. And somebody else owns it. So just be cautious. I mean, especially with your banking, everybody does everything on their phone. You got the card on the phone. You got driver's license on your phone. Everything lives and breathes on your phone. Just have two, t- you know, um, double authentication. Make sure that you, you know, everybody's like, oh, I got a password that I use. I, same one of this, you know, you you don't want the same password and everything. You want to change that thing every, every six weeks, you know. Be just, just paranoid enough to know that don't think that it can't happen to you. Mm. Even I mean, like, even you guys here at Up. I mean, don't think that somebody, they're not going to go after the grid. They're not going to go after some big entity that the government owns because those things are monitored and maintained by subject matter experts in cyber and cyberspace, cyber risk, cyber threat. You know, me and you sitting here talking right now, they come after us in a heartbeat, and nobody ever sees it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever going to hear about it. And it, it's just how it is. So, and they, and you know the the threats that are coming from the nefarious actors across the pond, they know that, and they can make just as much money off of a thousand people than they count off one person that's a billionaire. So, just be conscious, be aware. I I met with the, you kids especially. I mean that goes from everything that they see, hear, and touch and smell on that phone. I was talking to uh, the district attorney in in our in our in one of our counties and. Predators don't go after our babies anymore in the parks and in ball games and all that kind of stuff. They yeah. used they, they go on the phones,
3: TikTok, and
1: everything, gaming, fake yeah. accounts. They, they yeah. snatch them off the internet. Yeah. You know, and they don't even have to touch them. Yeah. You know, they did. They start probing. Like, oh, you know, they they had case studies they were showing us, and how innocent just boys and girls just they they just trapped them. And you know, like, hey, look, oh, hey, you know, I saw you had a birthday party. Hey, send me some pictures. Oh, you look so great in your bathing suit. You know, they were doing that to them. And then the vic- the the victims would send pictures, and then the predator go, "I got you." And if you don't send me more, I'm am gonna tell your parents. You know that's mm-hmm. how they do it, and they do it all on that phone. Yeah, it's just it
0: was terrible. It was horrible. I mean, it's sad. I've actually had talked with my kids about this. You should, you should. Mm-hmm. like, it, there's no untouched topic in our in my household. That's good.
1: My kids aren't allowed to get on game. They don't have phones, game, nothing. They mm-hmm. don't. I mean. You go outside and play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come in when streetlight comes on. Yeah, street light. <laughs> uh,
1: so when it comes to protecting yourself, just be aware. Mm-hmm. Don't be, don't be, don't be naive enough to say that's not going to happen to me. You know that's famous. That's famous last words. I didn't think it would happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be a victim. Yeah, just be. Check your accounts, social media or banking, or anytime you go on on the on the metaverse. Always do some follow up. Hey, did I actually do that? You know, just be. Yeah, be involved, mm-hmm. yeah. and with your kids,
0: <laughs> especially. They can't regulate themselves. No, they can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh,
1: I got a kind of um, so at the, that's what I did at the Department of Energy, and I left actually left, left the DOE right right at two years, um, maybe a little under. Uh, went to the Harvard Business School, got my executive education out of the out of there out of Boston.
0: It was leadership principles, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great course. You guys stuck into those things. I don't know if you're like really want like get back into academic. You just well, as much as you guys read, you guys would totally dig that. <laughs> Harvard has a great program. Yale, uh, Wharton has some of those. It, they're executive programs for guys mm. that, that run that uh, run a business like you. where They don't have two years to just completely dedicate yourself. Mm-hmm. It's for business owners, and really what you get out of is you get the Harvard experience with the professors that are there, and they go over case studies of from Netflix to Blockbuster to. And it was amazing yeah. what they, what they cover. You just get so much perspective because your classmates are from, all, I had a, I had a, um, 39 countries rec- uh, in my, my class, my classmates were from 39 wow. different countries. Oh yeah. It was great. Everywhere from the CEO at Tiffany's all the way down to uh, Walmart senior vice president, wow. you know, things like that. Yeah. Saudi Arabia, undersecretary of defense was in my class. So, <laughs> and you just hear perspectives of things that they are doing. Mm. And it really elevates you in a way that you're like, oh, okay, I didn't see that. But it's lifelong, so I reach out to my living group and my classmates. And say, I'm, you know, I got something coming down the pipe here. I haven't seen this before. What do you think? And it's the network is amazing. Wow, yeah, well worth it, well worth it. Yeah. So I left there, came out and started two companies. Uh, one of them is in a bio, is in it's actually in the green space, biodegradable signage. Mm. Partnered with a company that had this mineral coating that when you spray it on cardboard, it makes it look look feel and smell like plastic but it's not you leave it outside for 90 days it completely goes away yeah it's remarkable you hang it inside it lasts forever but outside it it degrades like it's supposed wow. to and my other one is i install smart infrastructure power over ethernet low voltage you run everything off your phone lights computers i noticed stuff. you looking
0: at her yeah. our lights and everything when oh, you yeah. came in that's uh, my th- it's a curse <laughs> now man i just yeah. like oh, man, you guys need a reno job in a hurry to save you all kinds of money it'd be great he asked me. He goes, "How long you guys been in?" He's looking at the lights. <laughs> <for> Thirty years. <laughs> you guys some old lights in here. Man. Uh,
1: that now I'm, I'm an adjunct professor. Up until recently, adjunct professor at Bassam. I taught uh, case studies over behavioral science, oh, trauma to law enforcement.
0: Morgan, from a from a human level, how do you balance all that? and have a family with your wife and your kids, your boys, because, I mean, your family is family-centric. Sure, yeah. But you've got a lot of irons in the fire. How do you balance that? No, I
1: do. Um, I spend uh, every waking minute that I have free with my boys. You know, we get up early in the morning before we go to school, two hours before we go to school, so I get to to spend that time with them, and Mm. they go to school. And I do everything I can while they're in school, and I'm there to pick them up Mm. at the end of the day. And then the campaign, now that we're so close to the primary, has been impactful to the family, but we take them with us. So mm-hmm. now they're they're out there with us, and you know it was a family decision uh, to do this. So the family's all in. I had when I was working in DC, I flew back and forth. So they've been through this before. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they've been on a deployment, so they're used to it. That's another another adventure. <laughs> but I cherish every single second. They're staying here in the district too. I'm really? not taking them with me. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. They're staying right here. Yeah. Boys well, are sixth generation Texans. I, I think you heard me say that Leslie went into labor with Gunner when we were in Virginia. Yeah. I put her in the truck and drove her to Texas. <laughs> and he was born in Texas. Huge deal. You might
0: have broke the speed limit on that. I, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, 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 I did. Not gonna lie. Morgan, where can people connect find you? <clears throat> oh, let's see here. <laughs> On um, Instagram, it's Mojo uh, yeah
1: Yeah, Mojo, like, uh, Mojo Latrell is on my, my Instagram, and then morganluttrell.com is my campaign. If you want to learn a little bit more about me and what I stand for. But thanks again for having me, guys. It's always it's always great to see you guys. Yeah,
2: good
0: luck in the next few days. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for coming in, Morgan. We yeah. really do appreciate yeah, pleasure. it. pleasure. I'm humbled to be here. Yeah, brother. Well, guys, thank you for tuning in for this episode of uh, 100% Tilted Discussions with Winning Underdogs. This is definitely one... American hero and underdog that is has got never has got no quit in him. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Guys, thanks for your support as always. Always free, but all we ask is that you share. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Stay tilted. <laughs> I'm loving.